Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bless our leaders. We thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for our teams. Look after the kids, the music. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Thank you for leading us so beautifully, Mary. You know that last song, right? My One of my like sons doesn't even talk that much, but he'll belt out the chorus. Like, who wants to hear the children sing that one day? Rita? Maybe, maybe, maybe next week. We'll see. Anyway, we're going to have a great night. Um, kids, you can go into the room at the back. If you haven't been here before and you've got kids, just um, I think it's three up, toilet trained up. Um, I'm hearing four, three and a half. You find out, go out there. And if you need to go and see your kids during um, the service, just go out those doors. There's some more doors there. All right, I think that's it. Who's ready to hear from Pastor Tony? Great. Well, let's welcome them up. Let's welcome Pastor Tony. I want to hear some louder. Thank you, thank you. Standard, I'm back. Welcome. How you all doing? I'm going to sit down. Because I've been told I speak too fast. So keep up. We all good? Amen. Plenty of seats. Awesome. We're going to continue today. Oh, for those that don't know me, I'm Tony. One of the pastors here, Rabs and I, we uh, minister here every Sunday and Wednesday, and um, we believe that God's leading us into this this time and place in this this dispensation on earth. It's an exciting time to be alive. Uh, who knows? The devil's throwing a lot of punches at the moment, but you know we already won the victory. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. And rules of darkness and made a public spectacle. So we're gonna live out of victory, not for victory. Amen. Amen. We're not we're not the tail, but we're the head. And we need to understand that God is not hiding stuff from us, he's hiding things for us. And we've been talking about the the, the church, and it was interesting that <clears throat> Brother Rab shared some scriptures on Wednesday and and he really did them justice because I probably would have just skimmed over them. But I had them in my notes, but I never shared them. Maybe because I get lost when I talk. And, um, <laughs> but sometimes the Holy Spirit will guide the message and, and Rab shared it. So it's amazing what God's trying, trying to build here. And uh, we just want to let you know that we glorify the name of Jesus here. Amen. There's no other name that we glorify. The Bible says that Peter was, was, was preaching on Pentecost. And in front of 3,000 religious Jews from all around the world. And he declared that there's no other name under heaven you can call on to be saved but the name of Jesus. Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Awesome. Today we're talking about, we're continuing about the mystery of the church. And today we're going to talk about, we, the last couple of weeks I shared about us being sheep. And then last week we shared about, a little bit about the body, how the body functions. And, um, and how the structure of the church, I had those pictures up there about God ordained the apostles and prophets and preachers and teachers and evangelists. And as I said, many people think that's been done away with now. 
Uh, they believe that the apostle and the prophet especially has been done away with. They believe that the, um, the gifts of the spirit are done away with. They believe healing is done away with. They believe that the supernatural is done away with. And they believe everything. So what have we got left? Hallelujah. See, the Bible interprets the Bible. Amen. So tonight, and we, we spoke, we touched on that about the foundations of the church on the apostle and the prophet. And the teacher builds the walls. The pastor is the roof. And the windows and the doors are the evangelists and the preachers. Amen. You are part of his body, the church. We call it. So just recapping for those. But you can go back and listen to all this on YouTube or on Facebook, Spotify. Um, you just can't watch it on Channel 9. That's all right. So if you watch Channel 9, SBS, you can watch the footy on Fox. That's all right. <laughs> just don't watch Para. So the Paul was talking about the church. Now, I believe, I don't, I, I, quote me if I'm wrong, and I probably am wrong, I've been wrong many times. But Paul spoke about the church as a bride. Now, tonight we're going to talk about the church as a bride. And you see many scriptures that Christ is coming back for his church, the bride, and the bride should have get herself ready. And we talk about the ten foolish virgins, five or, uh, ten virgins, five were foolish, five were wise. We talk about all this sort of stuff. So but I want to talk to you from the perspective of a bride in the in what it really means to us as the church. The Bible calls us the church, his body, he's the head. The Bible calls us the ecclesia, the called out ones. The church is the structure, how he, and um, we know that God's ordained, appointed leaders to lead us through. The Holy Spirit is ultimately the one in charge, and Jesus is the head of the church, amen? And so we, we want to reconcile this, because if you don't know too much, one minute I'm a sheep, a dumb sheep, one minute I'm a bride, one minute I'm a son, and, and, and there's all these terminology and allegories in the Bible. And I want to share this as best as I can tonight as a bride. See, the, the bride speaks of intimacy. Sheep speak, speak of a fold, many together following the shepherd. But I said this, as long as I remain a dumb sheep, I'm only going to be led by the shepherd. And that's a good thing. But the analogy is I've got to come up a little. Paul says, I press forward to the mark of the higher calling. So if there's a higher calling in our life, then there's a low calling. We know that there's the 30, the 60, and the 100 fold. We know there's the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. We know there's the outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies. We know there's the little children, young men, old men. You can go through the whole Bible and see what God's trying to paint a picture. So this, I just want to read the scripture and I want to tell you a story. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll talk about Paul. Now, we're going to read the scripture. And it's interesting that the Corinthian church or the, the book of Corinthians, we go to, to talk about the fivefold ministry or the gifts of the spirit. We go to the book of Corinthians to talk about the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, the, the boring chapter. No, the beautiful chapter. We hear at weddings every day. We talk about the Corinthian church from a place that they had all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they were out of order. And Paul's saying some of the sins in this church are even done outside the church. That's how bad it was. But he talks about false teachers in the body of Christ, even in Paul's day. But look how he represents the church in Corinthians. Look what he says about the church, and we'll read this. Is it up there? Second Corinthians chapter 11, sorry. Verse 1. Now Paul's talking here, and he's addressing some issues, and, and, and it says, I hope you all put, put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, he says. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Now, that's, is that King James up there? 
the NLT, beautiful. He says, I'm jealous of you with a jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. See, he's addressing some issues in the church. He's addressing some false teachers in the church. And he's addressing it in the way of a marriage. And he's saying, I promised God that I will give you to you as a pure bride. He didn't say in this, in this little sentence, you know what? I'm, I promised you as a beautiful church or a beautiful temple or a beautiful person. He went to the attributes of a bride. And then verse 3, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Verse 4, You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus. Now hear me out. Even if they preach a different Jesus, the one that we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one we receive or a different kind of gospel than the one we believe. So Paul, what was Paul saying here? Because you're entertaining some doctrines or some teachings about Jesus that are not correct. You're maybe receiving a spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. He says, what gospel do you believe? Paul was quite strong on this. He said, if an angel from heaven falls down and preaches a different gospel than what we have preached, let him be accursed. And it was, let him be damned to hell. Paul was addressing this this type of situation where there was false doctrines and people were creeping into the church to teach things. Now, how do you preach a different Jesus? How do you receive a different spirit? What gospel is it if it's the same Jesus? Have you heard this saying, Jesus loves everybody? Is Jesus love? Does he love everybody? Okay. Have you heard that? But he won't judge me for what I'm doing because he's love. And if he's love, he can't send me to hell for my sin. Have you heard that? That's a different Jesus. Oh, but I believe the Holy Spirit speaking to me and nothing but falseness comes out of him. They've received a different spirit. What gospel did you believe? So we can very easily, with sincere motives, believe a different Jesus, a different gospel. See, there's no power in deception. It might sound right, but it's deception. And Paul's saying to the church of Corinth, I have promised God, who did he promise? He was, this revelation he had about the church as a bride. And he was basically saying here, a pure bride. Another translation says, a virgin bride. He's not really talking about a physical woman. He's talking about the church, all of us. And he goes, but there's some people trying to seduce you in the ways of false doctrine. In other words, spiritual adultery. You can very, the Bible says, be careful you're not tossed with every wind and doctrine. Everything good that comes out is of God. No, it's not. We shared last week about how Paul was praying and the lady was saying, these are the people of the most high God. They're servants of the most high God. They show you the way of salvation. And Paul was praying, he goes, I've had enough of this feeling. Come out, devil. And she couldn't prophesy to her masters anymore. She was quoting truth. She was saying, these servants are the most high God who show you the way to salvation. She was not lying. The devil knows truth to get your attention, but then he'll deceive you and, and take away the power of God out of your life. Jesus says many times, beware, beware, beware. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Now, it's interesting he says that in verse 3. Can we put verse 3 up there? Are we up there? 
He gives a bit of a fee somehow. He's talking to the church now. That your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. It's interesting he used Eve as an analogy. Like I said, he didn't use the temple. He didn't use the church. He didn't use the Pharisees. He didn't use the Sadducees. He didn't use the Sanhedrins. He didn't use the Greeks. Sorry, Greeks. He didn't use all these people out there that had philosophies. Oh, sorry, I pick on you a lot, eh? But you haven't been here. I've been saying all these jokes. You haven't been here. Today I'm picking on the Persians. Any Persians here tonight? DJ thinks he's Persian. And he uses Eve as an analogy. So he, now he's using the church as a bride. And then he uses Eve as an example. So who knows the story about Eve? Let's go. Genesis. And chapter somewhere. Chapter 2 and verse 20. Now I want to share something with you. It's going to be a revelation to some people. Some people have heard me preach this. And it was awesome that what God was showing me. But nothing in the Bible is by mistake. Now, I want to tell you about a bride speaks of intimacy. We are the sons of God, which speaks of authority. The Bible says the earth travails and groans, awaiting the sons of God to be revealed. In a normal kingdom, let's say a worldly kingdom, there was a king. If you watch medieval movies and things like that, the king has the authority, gives it to the son, who's usually the leader of the, of the army. And he gives the authority of the king, and he goes out into battle to win, whether to fight the enemies or to take land. The queen sits next to the king. The queen and the king have intimacy. They, they, they come together as one. And then they birth what? She gets pregnant in their intimacy and they produce sons, sons and daughters. You get the picture. That's why Jesus is using different analogies of the church. See, we, I'm afraid we in this society to get married today is what, what's in it for me. It's never about surrender to your partner. What's in it for me? We live in a society that they've defiled marriage according to the Bible. See, what can I get out of this marriage instead of what can I give to this marriage? See, the Bible says, he who wants to save his life must lose it. And he who loses his life will find it. It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? It's a bit of a... But the minute I got married to Jana, I was a single man running amok. And then I fell in love. She swept me off her feet. She, she blinked at me and she just took my mind and... And I got married. Is that good enough? No. All right. I'll tell you a funny story. We got it. No, I won't say this story. She swept me off my feet, you know. But <laughs> jokes aside, I tripped over it. No, joke, joke. I love my wife. But when I met Janet and we wanted to get married and we got engaged and got married. Something in me knew, not that anyone taught me, is something in me had to die. See, I was no longer a single man doing what I wanted. I was still, when I got married, I was still playing footy and, and, and I was, then I was retired and I was a, a trainer, then I became a coach. And then at some point I said, you know what, this is too much. I have to die to myself and what I wanted for the relationship. So, and she had to die to herself so this relationship could become one. See, I had to lose myself to find myself. And who, who knows, once you get married and have a kid, another part of you dies. Huh? You're sleeping dies and um, you're going anywhere dies. And uh, I used to say, man, I'll never be like those parents. Every time we're going to go anywhere, we're not going to stop going anywhere. I don't care. And the minute we had a kid and he's kicking and screaming in the baby seat, I'm not going anywhere. 
I have to put my forearm on AJ's head just to put the seatbelt on. And the neighbor goes, how you going? I go, not bad, how are you? But something dies in you. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a life as an individual, but hang on. If you truly understand that, my life is not my own anymore. I have a wife, as a, as a man that is, I have a wife and a kid to raise. Then you have another kid and another one, and whatever the case may be. A part of you dies. See, I would like to be still in the footy scene. I like to be doing things and, and that. But something has to die in order for this, this relationship to live. Are you getting that? Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Reps, awesome revelation. Well, one of the last things before Jesus died was that um, Simon from Cyrene, Simon from Cyrene picked up the cross for Jesus and carried it in a physical sense. And it was amazing because when he went to the cross and Jesus died, but the last thing man did other than the Romans killing was he picked up his cross and he followed him as a picture of a spiritual picture that we're going to pick up our cross and follow him. Which means what happens on a cross, you die. And I've said this every week, and I've got to keep saying it till you get it. Your cross is not your sickness. Your cross is not your broken marriage. Your cross is not that you've got a bad job. Your cross is not your husband. Your cross is not your kids. That's, not, that's the devil's lie from the pit of hell. The cross we die to. So if I'm dead, Christ lives in me. My sickness dies because Christ's healing lives in me. My shame dies because Christ's righteousness lives in me. My, you know what? I could go all night, but he lives in me because I'm already dead. Amen? And Eve, let's go to Eve. Verse 20. Just give you a bit of a backdrop. So this is the time where God made all the animals, created all things, and he says, Adam, name them. And he gave names to all the livestock, Adam, and the birds of the, the sky and the wild animals, but still has no help just right for him. Another translation is a help mate or a helper. Adam was not complete. Because he had all these animals. He named them all. God showed him how to make the stars. God did everything. And he says, but something's missing. He's still not complete. He hasn't got his helpmate yet. So God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed it up, up the opening. And then the Lord made woman from the rib and he brought her to, to the man. And the first thing Adam says, at last the man exclaims, this this is one, this one is my bone from my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman. Because when he saw her, he went, whoa, man. He was excited, you know. You know. Woman. Woman came from man, you know. That's, she came from the womb of man. Okay. But she was taken from him. And verse 24 says, this explains why a man should leave his mother and father, father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. Isn't it interesting here that he says that a man should leave his mother and father become one? But at that time, who was Adam's mother? Who was Adam's father? Paul quotes it in Ephesians. Can we go to Ephesians? Chapter 5, verse 31. This is one of the first quotes in Genesis about a man leaving his mother and father and becoming one with his wife. He says, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Genesis talks about... Adam's being opened up in a deep sleep, opened up and the rib, and the Bible says he created Eve. In, in actual fact, he didn't create Eve. Eve was always in Adam. Adam was always in God. We always came from God and we're going back to God. But in the, in the sense of the word, he built, the Bible says the word for create out of the rib is the same word in Hebrew for built. 
What did Jesus say? Before I jump the gun here, it says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his mother and father, father and mother, and joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. Paul is quoting the very things in Genesis. Paul also quotes in Corinthians that you be, I'm scared you're going to be like Eve, deceived. What is the whole analogy here? Adam was a type of Christ. The son of, he's called the son of God. He had all authority and dominion. Jesus is the last Adam he came. He, are you with me so far? Adam gets opened up, but he's in a deep sleep. He brings his wife from his side. Jesus goes to the cross and he, the Bible, another word for sleep in the Bible is death. You, are you with me? Many are asleep. Paul says many eat the communion unworthily and they're sick and they're weak and some of them are sleeping early, which means they're dying. Jesus actually died. Here, he just in a deep sleep. Look at the picture. God had to put Adam to sleep and take out his wife and that's his mate. That's a type and shadow of the church people. When Jesus came, he went to the cross. What did he do? He goes, into your hands, I give you my spirit, and he dies. What does the Romans do? They normally break your, if someone dies to make sure you're dead, they break your ankles and break your knees so you can't hold yourself up anymore. They were surprised that Jesus actually died that quick. They normally go and stay there for three, four days. But the Jews were upset because there's three people on a cross on their holy day, and they can't have people dying, which is unclean, to be in that vicinity. So he went to break the knees of Jesus, and Jesus is already dead. So they stab him in the side, and they pierce his side. His side opens up. What comes out? Water and blood. What does water and blood represent? The baptism. The blood represents the remission, the remission of sin, and water represents baptism. Out of his side, the church was birthed out of Jesus. Just like Eve came out of Adam, the church, us, we've come out of Jesus. Amen. We've been taken out of him to go back to him. You like that picture? That's why Paul is using a mystery here. He's saying, I'm scared you're going to get deceived like Eve. Because Eve was a bride and so was the church. Are you getting that picture? There's a story. In 480 BC, a woman named Esther grew up in the land of Persia. It was ancient Persia at the time. And her parents died young, so her uncle, her older cousin, adopted her. Her name is Mordecai. And he raised her. They were Jews that were exiled because of Nebuchadnezzar, and now they're living in, in Persia. There was a king named Xerox. What's his name? Uh, what? Xerxes. Isn't that the allergy spray? Xerxes, King Xerxes. Anyway, King Xerxes was, was known. He had many wives. He had a harem of wives. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing, having many wives, because I reckon there's nagging in surround sound, let's be honest. But I don't know why you want, but sorry. But it's like digital, you know. Anyway, the king had a wife and he was renowned that they did what he wanted. And one day he had a party and one of his wives wouldn't come out. He wanted to show her off on her beauty. She wouldn't come out, so he banished her. Now he's having a party in that region. Now, Esther's a Jewish girl, but she never told anyone she was Jewish. Mordecai used to work in the palace as one of an official. And they had a party. And this king threw a lavish party. Went for 182 days. What a mad Monday that one is. <laughs> 180, that's like six months of partying. And then he'd throw a party for the, the high-ranking officials. And he'd throw a party for the low, you know, the, 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 the common folk. And that went for seven days. So Mordecai brings his uh, niece, his cousin, and they come to the palace. And she was beautiful. And the king wanted her. And he goes, I want her to be part of my hero. So she marries the king. And it's interesting. I read that before they consummate the marriage and become married, they 
prepare the bride for one year. <laughs> one year. One year of pedicules, I don't know, makeup, um, perfume, ointments. One year to prepare. Remember that when I go back to it. So she ends up marrying the king and becoming his wife. But no one knows she's Jewish. She's an Israelite, but no one knows. And now in the land, one of the king's right-hand men named Haman, and he hated the Jews. And he would make them to bow down to the king. You have to bow down to the king, but Mordecai wouldn't bow. He says, I don't bow to another one but the Lord God. See, so he, 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 he organized this plan. He went up to the king. The king trusted him. He ran all the king's affairs. And he says, listen, you're, a, you're like a god. So we're going to ordain a day that everyone has to bow down to you. And the king goes, oh, I like that. Just to set up the, the, the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, because they wouldn't bow. So they did this day and they found out that um, Mordecai heard about this. He says, they're going to set us up and they're going to slaughter all of us. So the decree was, if you don't bow, you die. Mordecai sneaks into the palace and, and finds Esther and says, Esther, our people are going to die. She says, I can't. They don't even know I'm Jewish. She goes, you have to do something. Maybe this is the reason why God put you in the palace. He says, you're going to have to, because we're all going to be slaughtered. So she thought about it. She said, I can't let my people die. So what she says, go back and tell our people to fast for three days. And, goes, and then I'll go approach the king. Now, you got to remember, that king, he'd banish wives for the smallest thing. If you entered into his presence without him calling you, you could get killed. So now she's in prayer for three days fasting. And now she's a bride of a king. Then she says, you know, I have to risk it all. So she finally goes there. Before they were about to, the day of prayer, she goes in front of the king. And they said, what's she doing here? She barges in and the king lifts up his scepter to acknowledge her to come. Because she could have been killed. She said, king, I'm a Jewish. He looked at her and he says, and your Haman has organized a prayer day and it's a setup. It's not because he likes you. It's basically a setup. And you're going to slaughter all my people. Can you help me? She had been fasting and praying for three days. Her people had been fasting and praying. She, as the bride, entered the throne room. And she had a petition. And he says, really? He got angry with the guy and changed the law and the people were saved. It's interesting, that story, that's in, that's in the Old Testament. You can go back and read it. It's an interesting story that the bride was a foreign bride. She wasn't Persian. She wasn't from that kingdom. She was a foreign bride. Jesus came to get his bride, Israel, and they rejected him. Guess who he ended up marrying? A foreign bride, the church, us. We've been grafted into their blessing. He still wants Israel. He still wants the Jewish race if they bow the knee. But don't get mistaken. If they don't bow the knee, they're not saved. There's a false Jesus, false teaching again, that they're the chosen, they're going to make it. No, they're not. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It's type and shadow of the church. You know, it's interesting. I was looking for it and I didn't find it. But in Thessalonians, talks about the restrainer of the evil one. The restrainer. When he's taken out, the restrainer, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the church, when he gets taken out, the Antichrist will be revealed. The Bible says that the enemy will take over. But who's restraining the Antichrist now? Or the devil, the church, your prayers, the Holy Spirit in you. Isn't it interesting that Haman was the right-hand man of the king? He was a type and shadow of an Antichrist. He was trying to wipe out God's people. In the last days, if you're a believer in Christ, they're going to try and take your heads off. I can't say it any other way. 
but we have a restrainer called the Holy Spirit in the church. Come on, somebody. And then the church has to rise up because the Bible says the answer to every problem in this world is in the government. The answer to the problem isn't Centrelink. The answer to the problem isn't your school and your school teachers. The problem in the world is the church hasn't risen up as a bride. That bride risked her life to stand in front of a king thinking she might get killed. But she went and interceded for her people to the king. What's that speak of? We can go boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in a time of need. Why? Because of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. You don't have to be scared of God. You don't have to be scared of the king of kings. He's going to take your head off because you entered wrongly. There's no wrong way to enter except acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. And I can walk boldly with confidence to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and ask for whatever I want and he'll give it to me. Hallelujah. That's the role of the church. And that story, and, and you can go, story, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And, 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 and I want to go into the specifics of it. But Paul says, he uses the analogy of the law. Israel was married to God through the law. What is marriage, in a sense? It's a covenant. We make a covenant before God. Well, they were in covenant. They were in covenant with God by the law of Moses. Was he not? Yes? If you don't know... The Ten Commandments is not just the law. The law is the sacrificial law, the moral law, and the, um, the temple law, and, and everything else that goes with it. How you dress, what you eat, all those things that go with it. Jesus said, I never came to remove the law. He says, not even a dot or a comma will be removed by the law. But the things he was saying to the, to the Pharisees, it was like contrary to what they knew. It was like contrary. They'll call him a blasphemer. They call him the son of the devil. They call him uh, the prince of devils. They call him all these names because he was doing things. And he's saying, this is for my father. The kingdom of God has come upon you. And Paul writes in Romans, I think it's three or, Romans 3 or 4. He says, while a Jew is under the law, he's, he's bound by that covenant. But Jesus is preaching something different. It's not really different. He was preaching the truth about the law. The law says, if you kill, don't kill. Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've already killed him. The Lord says, you can look, but you can't touch. The Bible says, if you've looked, you've already touched. He made it. He's going, the law was to point you to Christ. They used the law to put bondage on people. And they're saying things like, we're children of Abraham. We're children of God. And he's going, hang on. And Paul is a Jew. And he says, you're married to God through the law. What I'm saying to you, what Jesus is saying to you, you're not committing adultery. Because if someone dies in a marriage in those days, the woman or the man was free to marry another. They're not bound by that relationship anymore because someone died. And what Jesus was saying, I come to fulfill the law that you're married to, to God so you can marry another, name him Jesus. You can have an intimacy with God now because only the high priest could go into the temple and make a sacrifice. Only the high priest had to go and do make intercession in the temple. But when Jesus died, the Bible says the veil was torn and the Spirit of God left the temple that day. Never to dwell in man-made temples. Listen to me. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy of Holies is inside you if you're willing to go there and spend time with Him. See, the bride's job is to spend time with the bridegroom. The, the queen was spent time with the king. What happens? Something's birthed on the inside of you that produce offspring, that produce sons. What did Jesus say to us? The church has to go into all the world and preach there and baptize those who do believe. And every day, the Bible says the numbers of the church were added. Are you seeing the picture of the bride now? It's funny, like we talk about marriage. A rabbi was preaching one day. And he preached about marriage from a Jewish perspective. Because in those days, you never picked your bride. Your father picked her for you. 
You better have good taste. <laughs> and then you had to pay a dowry. Now, I never knew how much the dowry was. Like, what do you actually pay? If she's good-looking, three goats and a sheep? If she's ugly, just a snake and a pigeon? I don't know. Like, what do you give them? I don't know who, who puts the... I still, I'm still wondering who, who, if you're a walker like us and go to weddings a lot, who put this, this, how much money you should put in the card? Who designed that one? Like, where did that come from? Where did the standard come from? Well, how do you pay for a bride? But that was the common trait. Ten goats, one sheep, and a pigeon. I don't know. And that was what it was like. The father would pick the bride. That's what Paul was saying. I want to produce to, I promise to produce you as a bride. Because when they got engaged, isn't it interesting that when Mary fell pregnant with Jesus and Joseph found out, he says, I'm going to put her away quietly. What an honorable man. Because in that culture, if that was fair income and she got pregnant, sleeping with someone, they give her a letter. Even though she wasn't married, in that culture, once you're engaged or betrothed, it's like you're married. And the father has to protect her from people coming to deceive. You know, people elope all the time, yeah? I'll give my kids permission to elope, all right? So <laughs> it's cheaper, all right? But elope was an agreement where the girl loves the guy, the guy loves the girl, but their parents don't want to happen. They go off and they get married. But in that old culture, the girl might not like the guy. and She might be married or wants to marry someone else, but someone's got an eye on her. They kidnap her. And then they take her. And in that culture, once you're gone, you don't come back. In their mindset is, I've been defiled. I can't go back. Don't know why. If that happened to my daughter, why are the guns would be out? But they think in that culture. And Paul's saying, there's people creeping in to deceive you like Eve. In other words, they're trying to kidnap you out of the hands of your one and true. See, we are all now in Christ. Amen. We have been engaged to him. And he's coming back to get his bride to take over to the father. But guess who's coming along to try and deceive us? The devil. Amen. Can you see that picture now? See, if I don't have time with the Lord, see, intimacy with God doesn't just speak of alone time. See, it's not just, I need to spend some time with the Lord. But sometimes God's drawing us in to Him and we're not listening. It's easy to me to say, I want to come to God and sit with Him and that. But sometimes God's drawing us to Him like a, like a, a husband or a, a man who's, who's trying to court a lady and trying to get to know the lady and bring her into His presence. God's trying to do that to us because the more time you have alone with God, the greater the outcome you have in the world. Listen to me. My capacity to know God and to love God isn't in a group setting. Because this is where we edify one another. This is where we share with one another. But if I haven't got any alone time, nothing's getting birthed in my spirit. Nothing's getting, I don't understand who he really is. I know about him, but I don't know him. My first point is, intimate, the, the bride speaks of intimacy. One-on-one -on -one relationship with God. Are you with me? I'm all for, I'm an I'm an, ex, I'm an exalter. I'm an extrovert. I need to be around people. I get my energy around people. But I've had to learn over the years that energy is great and I keep pouring out, but I'm not putting anything in. The greatest danger for someone like me, and I love my elders that taught me this, he says, at a drop of a hat, no matter where I am, if I was in America now and someone said, I need someone to preach, can you preach? Two seconds, I can have a sermon. That's just me. But that can be my detriment because I can do that. I forsake the time with the Lord because I can do it. Just because I can bring something up and move in my gifting, it doesn't substitute me spending alone time with God. 
you might find it easy to be alone. And then sometimes God's saying to you, when you're alone, come out and meet someone. Do something for him. There are a lot of people in there fasting and praying and locking themselves up and it's me and God. No, no, no. The church is not built on you being alone. The Bible says the devil isolates you to your own destruction. There's a time to be alone. Don't get me wrong. And there's a time to be with one. And this in that secret place with God. The Holy of Holies was a room for one person only. It was a thousand cubits by a thousand cubits, which is a cubit is a hand from there to there, a cubic. And it was just a small box, basically. And only one person can fit in that. It was only designed for one. See the symbolic of it? When you come into his presence, it's just for you and him. It's not about everyone else. See, some people say, what about my family? I need to pray for my family. They're not saved. Or, okay, you will never get them saved if you don't sit with him one-on-one. -on -one. See, Paul had a burden for the Jewish people, did he not? He says, I burden with a desire. And if I could die on their behalf, should they be saved? I would. That's what he said. Yet he couldn't do anything for them because God sent him to the Gentiles. But in that quiet time, in that time traveling on a boat for two years to get to Macedonia or to, to get to Philippi, Macedonia, sorry, and then to go to Asia Minor, wherever he went, he spent that time with God, shipwrecked on an island. What are you going to do? Nothing but prayer. He was in jail. I, mean, I said this many times. That scripture we put on our hands and we play footy and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you understood, he was in jail, in chains, neck up to sewer system in, and a sewer system up to his head. And he's telling people, write this for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The smell would kill you. And yet, he was dead to himself because he knew who he served. Amen. The love of God. See, the more time I spend with God, you know, we want revelation of God, don't we? I want revelation. I want to know more about God. No, I want to know him because he wants to know me. That sounds silly, eh? He who comes to God must first believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, the more I spent time with my wife, the more I fell in love with my wife. We've been married 24 years next week. Hallelujah. To her, it's been a dream living with now. Actually, to me, it's been a dream. To her, it's been a science project. You don't know what you're going to get every day. For 24 years. And honestly, I honor my wife for she stuck by me. I, I wouldn't be the man I am today because of my wife. Amen. And I wouldn't do that. Have I always done it right? Yes. No, I haven't. She always done everything right? Yes. But the more I spent time, you know, I didn't know my wife till 10 years later. We think we know each other until we live with each other. Then we have kids. Then we go through problems. Then issues. We get to know each other more. You know, sometimes we give up on things too quickly. We haven't understood endurance and perseverance. We haven't understood the grace of God for our life. Because I'm willing to die to myself in order for this marriage to live. Because if I don't die, then we don't have sons that are serving God today. And I'm not, if you're having a struggle with your marriage, listen to me. It's not the end of the world. Keep seeking Jesus. Amen. Don't manipulate Jesus. Don't beg Jesus. Sit in his presence and let him refresh you. Because the more he refreshes you, guess what? Your capacity to receive what he's got grows. Because the bigger I grow, the bigger. See, God's not withholding. God can only give me as much as I want. But if I make room for him, he grows in me. But if I don't make room for him, he'll give you, because God can't give you more than you can handle. Are you with me? He's loving, he's merciful. The second thing I want to share is that the fruit of, of a marriage 
is offspring. God wants godly offspring. What do I mean by that? Let's go to um, let's go to Romans chapter eight nineteen, if you don't mind. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the re revealing of the sons of of God. If you put it in context, the earth is travailing and groaning like a pregnant woman waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Girls, you're part of that. This is not a male thing. This is a this is not a gender thing. This is a positional thing. Just like I'm the bride of Christ with you, you are the sons of God with us. It's not a male-female thing. Because like I said, in the kingdom, the king gives authority to the son. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me, and I give it unto you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Does that make sense? So we've got these different parts of the Bible that talk to us. and We need to put it in a context so we understand. See, the Bible says in, in, in Matthew 7, 21, just let's touch on this one. I'm trying to, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You could, I'm not going to even preach on that, but I want to share something. The word, Lord, Lord. What is that? What's the next verse? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, I have not, have I not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name. And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. Scary scripture. I'm not going to attempt to go into that. But what I want to share, what that really means, uh, people have so many theories. But the words that I want to talk about is, I never knew you. That word, I never knew you, is the same word as, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's the same word that Mary said, I know no man. Remember when the angel appeared to her? I know no man. Mary did not have, did not know a man until the firstborn Jesus. It's the same word for intimacy. He, this guy's bragging to Jesus, I've done this in your name. I've done that in your name. I've done this in your name. I never hear one say, thank you, God, for setting me free. Thank you, God, for the blood of Jesus on the cross. He's talking about what he's done for God. He goes, you know what? I don't know you. See, we need to know him intimately. He wants to be known intimately. Are you with me? Because God doesn't whisper the secrets to servants. A king does not whisper the secrets of the kingdom to the pawns and to the uh, to the clowns and to the to the chef and to the he whispers it to his bride, and he gives authority to his sons. We're not a powerless church, guys. The devil's coming after us, but he cannot win. Amen. He's throwing everything at us, but he cannot win. Amen. It's a powerful thing to understand that when we know him. Now, if you're not at that place yet, start now. Build a capacity for God to. Fill your spirit. Because the first thing he'll fill you with is his love. People say to me, Paul went and got his head chopped off. Peter got crucified upside down. Matthew got skinned alive and took him three days to die. Thomas was tied up to four different horses and every horse went a different direction and they broke his body apart. James was pushed off of the Temple Mount. And we can go on and on and on and on. Why? Why would they allow themselves to get to that place? Why would they risk their life for a religion or for a, why? Why would you allow and give up? Many of them got their families slaughtered. Why? Because it was the love of God. 
wasn't because of the power of God. It wasn't even about heaven. It was that they fell in love with their almighty Savior. They knew him, and no matter what the cost is, I'll do anything. If you love someone, you do anything. I guarantee you, every person in this room, if your, if your son fell into the ocean and you don't know how to swim, you jump in anyway. Because for the love of that child, you do anything. And that's what they did for Jesus, because they understood his love. When we understand his love, we will do anything for him. You may never be called to be a martyr, but you're called to serve him. And you make room in intimacy so he can build you up, so you can know him. And I swear, when you know him, you become like him. You start to think like him. Guess what? Then I can raise my kids. Then I know what to do with my business. Now I know what to do. But if you want him for what you, you can get from him, good luck. He loves you. But when you open your heart for him, allow him. Because the first thing you'll do, who's prayed, please, Lord, change someone. Pray for someone. Do things for someone. God says, I'll change the situation for you, but first I'll have to change you. No, nothing wrong with me. He changes you. And when he changes you and God flows through you, guess what? Then you can think straight. You can operate in his wisdom and power. You're not operating in the flesh. It's interesting. Um, someone refreshed my memory. Jacob married Leah and Rachel. And Rachel. Scholars. He wanted Rachel, yeah? He worked seven years to get Rachel. And the father tricked him and gave him Leah. Now, how do you not know the difference? I don't know. But he obviously got drunk. They have a party because in that culture, you didn't go to a rabbi or a priest and get married. You had a wedding feast. Men on their own, women on their own. Then they come consummate the marriage. And he came in there and then, uh-oh, wrong one. Then he got upset with the father. The father tricked him. Leah is a type and shadow of the law. God was married to his people through the law. See, it's unlawful in that culture, in the Semitic culture, to marry the old, younger daughter before the older. Rachel was the younger daughter. Jacob wanted the younger daughter. He ended up marrying the older daughter. So he worked another seven years to marry Rachel. So back in those days, they did what they wanted. But one represents the law because she had to be married first. Next one represents the church, grace. One represents the flesh. The second one represents the spirit. The one was giving him children after children. The one he loved couldn't give him children. And she finally had a son named Joseph. Guess what Joseph ended up doing? You know the story about Joseph? He ended up getting sold to slavery, thrown in a pit, thrown in the dungeon. He was having all these dreams and his brothers got jealous of him. Then he got put and then he had a dream about the baker and the, um, the, baker and the chef and the butler. He finally tells Pharaoh about his dream. He ended up getting put second in charge of the kingdom. And then he guess what? He ends up saving his brothers and his father's family, the very people that sold him to slavery. One's of the law. The law can't save you. It's all, the law condemns you. Jesus came to free Israel and to free us from the condemnation of the law so we could be married to him through the grace of God. Amen. Joseph ended up being a type of Jesus. Grace, what happened? Brothers sold him to slavery. They ripped up his cloak, dipped it in blood. Jesus went to the cross. His brothers sold him out. Crucify him. One minute, he's the king of Hosea. You know, he's the king of the Jews, riding on a donkey. He didn't accept their crown. The next thing, he go, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Joseph was thrown in the pit, bought a slavery. Jesus was thrown in the pit. 
Joseph got taken out and put in at the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus rose from the dead off the cross. Where did he sit? At the right hand of the? Have all authority under him. Did Jesus save us from our sins? Did he save not his brothers, Joseph, from their sins? When they realized it was their brother, they repented. He says, what you meant for evil, God turned for good. Hallelujah. Pipe and shadow of the church today. That we are his bride. The Bible says to us that to prepare ourselves. Because he wants to offer us to the Father. He says, I'll offer her a bride without spot and blemish. Are you getting this? It's your responsibility. It's not mine up here. Come to church every day and listen to a great sermon. That's awesome. We're sheep. But until we take a step as a bride to sit with the bridegroom, Jesus, so he can tell us things and love on us and fill us up with his love, we will never be able to have authority to pass on to our kids or to the next generation. We are the answer to this world, amen? Are you with me? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. You know, it's interesting when, interesting when Jesus on the cross, he says, into your hands I give you my spirit, and he gave up his spirit. It's interesting, but every time God wants to birth something, he puts you to sleep. He wanted a woman, put Adam to sleep. He wanted to make a covenant with Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you. And in those days, if you make a blood covenant, you both have to walk between the blood, whether it's animal sacrifice or whatever. And he says, go get me a goat, a sheep, a lamb, a pigeon. They cut them in half, blood everywhere. And what they're meant to do is the two people that are making a covenant should walk through the blood together. It's a blood covenant. If anyone breaks that covenant, your blood will be broken, shed. That's how serious they took blood covenants. But God says, I can't swear by anyone else higher than myself. God's trying to make an agreement or a covenant with Abraham, but he knows Abraham's going to fail. He's a human. He knew Adam was going to sin. That's why the Bible says the lamb was slayed before the foundation of the world. He had prepared an exit plan for us because he knew we were vulnerable. So he says to Abraham, thank you, Abraham. And he puts him to sleep. And now God himself walks through the blood by himself. But he didn't walk by himself. Guess who, guess who walked through the blood? Elohim. Plural. Which means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit walked through the blood. It means that God the, God the Father, Creator, God the Son, the Word, and the Holy Spirit walked through the blood. They made a covenant with each other that could never be broken. In other words, Jesus was going to come on the cross. Whether you accepted Him or not, whether they killed Him or not, He was coming to be a sacrifice to fulfill His covenant with His church so He could bring His bride home. He put Adam to sleep, Abraham to sleep. That's what the Bible says. We have been grafted into Abraham's promise. We haven't been grafted into Moses' promise. Moses' promise is dead. The law cannot save you. If you can keep the law, if you can point your finger and say to God, well, I don't murder, I don't steal. He says, okay. There's a few more here. And Jesus says, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Well, what hope have we got? That's why Jesus came. And now we're grafted into Abraham's blessing. Amen. We have grafted in. You know what grafted means? We, have, we don't deserve it, but we have been put in. You know when they graft plants? They put another plant in another plant and they grow together. That's what we are. We can grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of God because we're his bride. Amen? I just strongly want you to understand this. That as Eve was taken out of the side of Adam, so does the church was taken out of the side of Jesus. And it's interesting that when Jesus spoke and when Paul spoke, they knew the stories. They knew about Hosea and Gomez. Hosea was a prophet. 
God says to him, all right, now I want you to marry a harlot. I did all my life to marry a harlot. I'm your prophet, Lord. But why, Lord? Because I want you to marry her because I want you to feel how I feel because Israel is like a harlot to me and she's like my wife. And your kids will be kids of a harlot. He went, all right. Married her. And then she goes off. After a while, she runs off and she ends up in the same place she came out of, out of harlotry. And now she's owned by uh, her master now. And God says, go get your wife. Many would have said, no, no, you're sure fault. You told me to marry her. You knew where she came from. He says, go get her. So Hosea, an honorable man, goes and gets her. He's looking for her through the streets of wherever they were. He finds her. Because that's my wife. He goes, hey, she might be your wife, but we own her. He had to go and buy her back. He had to, in those days, they had auctions for their women. And he had to buy her back with 15 shekels and barley and loaves and different things. But he bought her back. And I often ask that question. She was his. That was his wife. He didn't have to pay for her. And I understood the scripture where he says, Jesus has bought us at a price. Aren't we God's creation? Doesn't God own everything? And yet he had to send Jesus on the cross to pay a ransom that we could not pay, to release us from the clutch of the master, which is the devil, to bring us home so we can come back to be his bride. What a beautiful picture. That Hosea, no matter what she did, well, what she said, he was willing to go and pay for her to get her back. He paid a price to bring her back because he loves us so much. That's the picture of the church. And the Jews understood this. They knew these stories, but they never got a revelation of it. That's why the Paul says it's a mystery. A mystery is not a secret. It's not a mystery to God. It's not a mystery to God. When the Bible says we pray mysteries and we pray in the Spirit, it's not like we're saying something, God, I didn't know that. No, we're praying what's already hidden in Christ. Because guess what? We were hidden in Christ. We came out of His side. We're already in Christ. When you redeem something, that means it goes back to its rightful place or goes back to where it came from. God is ready to blow this world apart. But are you part of what God's ready to do? Are you willing to allow Him to build you up. See, fasting, prayer, meditating the word, worship, church, awesome. That's just to bring a capacity so I can come into his presence and receive more from him. That's the God that we serve. He's not holding back from you. He gave you his best. But can we handle it? Are we willing to believe? It's according to your faith. Jesus said, greater works than these that you will do because I go to the Father. For me, he didn't understand that scripture. Why? Greater works that you'll do than I've done. I go to the Father because when he goes to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit in us, which is Christ in the spirit form, and I'll keep doing what I'm doing through you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the Christ that we serve. So I pray that you get a bit of an understanding about the church. The church is not somewhere... The church has to be a hospital for the sick. It has to be a family for the members. It has to be the outreach of the world. It has to be the bride that sits intimately. It has to be the sons that go and take authority, go and take back. And it's interesting that rib, I said to you earlier, the, the Hebrew word for create was the same word for build. And what did Jesus say? I will build my church. He built Eve. He inbuilt her in Adam, then created her or built her up 
and now he's building the church, which is his bride. That's who we are, people. Amen? Hallelujah. It's amazing till we understand, we can understand the beauty about who Jesus is. And I know I'm using a lot of terminology about brides and this and that, but I just want you to understand one thing. He's calling your name. He's, had, he's been calling your name from day one, from before creation. We were already appointed in God to be saved. But you have to answer the calling. The same word for, you know, do you know him, is to be chosen by him. Was not Judas chosen by Jesus? Did Jesus make a mistake? The Bible says that he chose them all, but some of them weren't his. He chose them, but some of them weren't his. He's talking about Judas. To, know, to be chosen by him is to know him. And when you know him, guess what? When you know him, the truth, and then truth will set you free. Not know about him, know of him, to know him intimately because he wants to be known to you. That's why we worship. When I first came to the Lord, I saw these people putting their hands up. They're weirdos. Then I went to the footy and went, yeah, power scored. And the Lord said to me, well, it's all right for them and not for you. It's all right for you to put your hand up and not at church. So I haven't got any pride. So I thought, you know what? One day I'm going to worship God by myself in my room. It's in my early days. And I tried to worship God. I'd get like that. And I, and then I, love so I put the song on. And I just I just felt this impression to lift my hands. I had to wish my hand and go. And I realized then I'm in the bedroom by myself. No one's watching. And I still couldn't put my hands up because I was full of pride. I was full of myself. But I had no problem shouting in the street. Para one, shouting they scored a try. But when I sat in front of the Lord, I, didn't, I couldn't do it. I go, how much stinking pride still in me? How arrogant do I think I am? And, I'm, and God didn't judge me. I judged myself. And it took me a while to be able to lift my hands and worship. And wow, what a release in my spirit. Because it's not about lifting your hands. Lifting your hand doesn't change nothing. But it's about my heart towards him. Lord, I'll be a fool for you, whatever you want. So I said to the Lord, I'll be a fool for you, whatever you want. And I've been a fool for God. But yes, foolishness of God is a lot better than the wise of man. Hallelujah. Let me be a fool for God. And in closing, when a bride is protected by the father and the father protects the bride so he can present her to the husband on the day of the wedding. That's our job as ministers. That's your job in your home. You're a king, a priest, and a prophet of your own home. That's your job. I'll give an account of what God's told me to do with my family and the church. Rabbi will give an account for his family and the church, but you'll give an account for your life. Not for that. You can't say, well, my pastor didn't tell me, or my bishop didn't tell me, or my priest didn't tell me, or the angel didn't tell me. You give an account for your life. And I want to give an account to God and say, Lord, I don't know. God's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for maturity. He's just looking for a hungry heart that would want to serve him. So my desire every day, and I'm sure I haven't spoken to the rabbis about this, his desire every day is to build this body but there's so many family members. There's people today that are good friends of mine today here. I never knew 12 months ago. I never knew six months ago. And now we're like family. Guess what? There's so many more out there that are lost. They're waiting for the church to rise up. They're waiting for us just to, to be intimate with him so we can go and get our lost sheep. So many. Because he loves them. And if we're the church, remember what Paul said? 
Saul was persecuting the church. He goes, who are you, Lord? He goes, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. God doesn't separate himself from his church, his true church, his bride that loves him and only him and doesn't listen to a stranger's voice, not seduced by every wind and doctrine. He understands who God is for him. Because when you understand who he is, guess what? You're not afraid to come to him. Just like that queen, there was a bit of scare. She was scared to go. She could get killed, but she was willing to risk her life no matter the outcome. And she went before the king and she saved the people. You know, we have to start interceding for our brothers and sisters no matter the cost. That's our job. He holds us responsible, the church. If your city is busted, your town is busted, your street is busted, that's your fault. That's my fault. Because we have the authority in Jesus' name to pray and let, let the Holy Spirit move. Let people get touched by the Holy Spirit. God will protect us. God will protect us. Jesus came to protect his bride. What Adam failed to do in the garden. What Adam failed for not standing in the gap. By allowing the serpent and the enemy to talk. The damage was done the minute they started talking to him. If you're doing your job at the front gate, you kick him out. You don't let the enemy sneak into your house. So Jesus comes, you know what, Adam, what you failed to do, I'm going to do. I'm going to come back and I'm going to stand in the gap and I'm going to take the punishment for what the bride did, which is Eve, and I'm going to take what mankind's done against me and I'll take it unto myself as a true husband and I'll die for my family so when I rise again, she can come back to me pure. Can we stand? Hallelujah. Intimacy is not easy for some people. Some people are scared of intimacy because you've been hurt. Some people are scared of being vulnerable because someone used you. Sometimes you have given your heart to someone and they've broken it, tread on it, crushed it. But don't, please, let me tell you, that's what's happened in the flesh. But in the spirit, <laughs> you're cleansed. You're set free. Your blood of Jesus is flowing through you. The Holy Ghost is sit in front of him and pour your heart out to him because i guarantee you you do that often enough you won't be going to him for your problems you'll be going to them because all you've got is solutions you'll be going to him and saying lord who can i help today what can i do for you today what can i do for you today lord i just want to do something what, what can i do what can i restore for you today lord or maybe sometimes you sit in his presence you say nothing there was a time where I was doing so much for God and I was driving and I was getting annoyed. I was driving from Parra to the city and every light you could, I caught every light, every light. Every worst driver started to get in front of me. And I was trying to find what nationality they were so I can curse the nationality. So I started cursing the nationalities anyway and I was wrong. But everything could go wrong, went wrong. And as I'm driving, I'm just frustrated. And I heard this. I heard that still small voice. He says, if you won't come to me, I'll come to you. And what God was doing in the natural, he was putting obstacles in my way so I could actually just shut down. And in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. And then the Holy Spirit filled my car. I knew where I was going. I was aware of my conditions, but I was in the presence of God. And I couldn't wait for red lights. I couldn't wait for the traffic jam on Victoria Road. I couldn't care less if a truck broke down and tipped and, and the block. You know why? Because God filled the car. With and you know what I realized then? Sometimes he's trying to get our attention and we're not listening. And I sat in that car. I got to my appointment. I'm in the car. I didn't want to get out. And the guy that's looking, 
He's looking out the window. What's wrong with this bloke? He's sitting in his car. I've got my hands in the car. I didn't want to leave the car because his presence invaded. His presence invaded me. I thought to myself, I didn't understand, and I had let go of that fellowship with him. I got warned as a as a young minister. It wasn't a warning. It was just he was sharing with me, but it was a warning. He said. You're going to operate in the power of God. You're going to see God move in your life. You're going to see God move through the church. Who hasn't seen God move? We've seen God move, amen? He goes, but make sure you never stop going back to his presence. Because if I keep going in the power of God, I forget about the presence of God. I end up destroying myself. So I want to know him. I said, I shared this the other day. If I never preach another sermon again, it wouldn't bother me. If I never ever... If God says walk out today and go home, I'll go walk out. Why? Because I just want to know Him. Because if He's not with me, I don't want to do it. If He's not speaking through me, I don't want to do it. I honestly don't want to do it. If He's not, if He's not around me and guiding me and around my family, I don't want to know about it. I need to know Him for His sake. The Bible says, "Listen to me. You're not saved for you. You." You are, we are saved from hell, but we're saved into his kingdom. Where this kingdom, there's no crying, there's no tears, there's no... We might be in this world, but we are looking forward to the next world. But he says, kingdom come you're on earth as it is in heaven. So you don't have to sit there and wait for the next kingdom and be bashed around by the devil. You have an authority, you're a child of God, you have, you have the power of God, you have his presence on your life, you have the authority of God, and it's time for us to rise up as a church time for us to rise up as true believers as a true bride and when we understand who he is in our hearts and we grow in capacity to learn him as everyone's different listen to me just get into his presence and just lift your hands up and just let god lead you because the holy spirit's job is to lead you and guide you into all truth truth not just truth in the word Truth is to get into his presence. How do I come into your presence? I don't know how to do this. I'm just going to sit here and just wait for him. And God honors that. He goes on a bit further and he says, I want to present you as a pure bride because I think some people are coming to pervert you from the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel's simple. It's not, it's the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I understand what he's done for me, I can receive what he's got for me. When I can receive what he's got for me, I no longer worry about the little fires the devil's trying to play in my life. I'm going to step foot and say, I'm a child of God, devil. So, Father, I thank you tonight. Thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you for your mercy. That we can come boldly with confidence and assurance to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in a time of need. There's no more of a time than now that we can receive the grace of God. The Lord, the unmerited favor, the power of God that dwells within us so we can strengthen our inner man. So Lord, I pray a blessing upon everyone here tonight that they may see you in a different light. They leave today, he's seeing you, Jesus, the bridegroom, that he would give his life for his bride.
I thank you, Father, for the wonderful gift of salvation through the precious blood of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, or you're looking for a miracle tonight, or you've got a problem that you've just been tormented day and night, listen to me, listen to me. Reach out and touch heaven now. His spirit is here. The Bible says he hovers over the deep waters. The Holy Spirit doesn't muck around with small things, shallow things. He looks after the deep things of God. That's why he says he, sh he, he hovers over the deep waters. Why? Because he wants to get into deeper inside you. He wants to bring out the word that's inside you. He wants to pull out the, 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 what the enemy has placed and, and the enemy has put in you. And wants to pull that out because he wants to put his spirit in there. He wants to enlarge your habitation in him. So today's the day of your salvation, meaning body, soul, and spirit. Today, that we come another step closer to the bridegroom. Let us be found worthy because we can come to him with no fear, for perfect love casts out all fear. So Lord, I pray a blessing upon everyone. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done here tonight. Father, I thank you that the scales of religion is falling off. The scales of condemnation is falling off. Lord, the biggest, the enemy's, the biggest tactic is disappointment. That I've tried this, I've done that, and it's not working. I come against disappointment in Jesus. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Come against false doctrines, doctrines that would pervert the mind of God in the mind of Christ in you. That things like, things of 